The opinions expressed by the guests and contributors of this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Cornell University or its employees. Welcome to another episode of the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. Today, we will be talking with Maria Wolf, who is a senior consultant for talent retention here at Cornell. We talk with her about her role in supporting and promoting a workplace that prioritizes employee experience as well as staff retention. We also learn about her own experiences and insights around why retention and positive employee engagement is so critical and how we can each influence workplace engagement and retention. My name is Toral Patel. And my name is Erin Sembrichet. And you're listening to the Inclusive Excellence Podcast. Maria, welcome to our program. Erin and I are so excited to have you with us today. Just to get us started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, what pronouns you use, how long you've been here at Cornell? Sure, sure. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Toral and Erin. I appreciate it. I use she, her, hers pronouns, and I am the senior consultant for talent retention with the employee experience team. I've been at Cornell for 18 years. Wow. Mm, I know. (laughs) Nice. Hard to believe, for sure. So to that end, yeah, 18 years, that's, that's a long time. And it's nice to meet someone else <laughs> who has, has lasted <laughs> at Cornell. But I know that you haven't been in this role your entire time, right, Maria? So maybe you could tell us a little bit more about what your professional path has been at Cornell and has led you to this role. Sure. Yeah. No, I have not been um, in this role for 18 years, and I think I would have left had I been in this role. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... A little bit about my path. I started at Cornell actually in an office that some of you may remember um, as Workforce Diversity, Equity, and Life Quality. Mm. And I was hired in as the program manager for work-life programs. Uh Yeah, so I got to um, oversee some of the uh, programming that was in place really to help individuals balance their work life. I guess we don't really use that term as much anymore, but navigate their work life Mm -hmm. responsibilities. And it was my first time in human resources ever. So mm-hmm. it was a new experience for me, for yeah. sure. Um, and then after a couple of years after being the work quality person, I um, actually took on a diversity retention position mm-hmm. where I was learning a lot about you know, what was working, what wasn't working mm-hmm. for people of color specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, learned a lot about organizationally what, what we were doing and what we weren't doing mm-hmm. um, just across the board in terms of retention. And um, shortly into that position, I would say about a year and a half-ish, I actually started to think about what other kinds of work would be really beneficial for Cornell, kinds of jobs, et cetera. So I um, actually ended up drafting a job description for myself, or I should say for a position that I thought really needed to exist. And that was a position that was really focused on you know, career development, succession planning, um, the more proactive kinds of things I think we can do and uh, to help support staff and employees who are already here at Cornell. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I created a job description and I pitched it to a senior member of uh, HR. And I was pretty direct. I mean, I told him I would love to do the work myself, mm-hmm. but if it couldn't be me, I really felt like it needed to be someone. And about, I don't know, six or eight months later, I got a knock on my door and was basically asked to do what I had outlined in the job description and started doing that probably in 2009. 
Yeah. And ever since then, you know, my positions have sort of evolved. I've been very fortunate in that I've been able to have roles or or add to my role in ways that I'm passionate about and Mm -hmm. that also I feel like focus on, on people who are already here which is not always the path that is taken by HR when you think about bringing people in, right? right. Yeah, yeah. I think it's oh, that's fascinating, right? I've known that about your story, about this advocating that you've done for yourself. And I, I love this idea that, hey, you know what? I think this role is needed. You created the job description and you pitched it, but that you were also very direct about it, right? And so I kind of, I love that. Um, you also mentioned, Maria, the new title of your team, right? It's, it's, it's employee experience. Yeah. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that means, right? What is entailed in this employee experience and how does your role, and especially in terms of the retention effort, fits into that? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for asking because, yes, you're right, we are pretty new mm-hmm. um, and many people may not know about us And it's yet. a new term, right? It's Even in HR, it's, it, the idea of employee experience is a new term. Yeah. So an employee experience um, team is made up of people that focus on HR analytics, mm-hmm. um, employee engagement, employee retention, remote work, mm. and employee well-being. So we're a, a purposeful hodgepodge yeah. of, <laughs> of, of individuals that come to, have come together to really mm-hmm. focus on, with, of course, uh, you know, partnerships and collaborations with other areas within Central Human Resources, but really focusing in on what we as an organization need to do to make sure that everyone, while they're here at Cornell, from the time that they're looking at Cornell as an institution or an employer to the time when they leave Cornell, that experience is the most positive it can be. So that's it in just a nutshell, I would say, um, in terms of what the employee experience focuses on. So it's all the way from recruitment or attraction and recruitment through what we like to call respectful exits. Mm-hmm. So um, when people leave, we we want to make sure they're taken care of in a, in a um, respectful and appreciative way. So in any case, in terms of my role, as you mentioned, Toro, I'm, I'm more focused on the, the employee retention side of things. I spend a lot of my time partnering closely with my HR analytics colleagues who are amazing. And they're the ones that really take all of the confidential information that's shared in all of our surveys, Mm -hmm. and they help us figure out uh, ways to leverage that information to make things better for employees at Cornell. And so the work that that they do really helps us understand the employee experience overall. And then specifically for me, why people are leaving Cornell, which then helps me figure out where we should focus our efforts when it comes to approaching retention more purposefully and proactively if possible. I like how you broke that down because I think you really showed the key is, you know, really looking at the data, learning from the people that have left, you know, why they're leaving so that you can then, and that will inform where to target your efforts on how to get the remaining people to stay. (laughs) And, you know, we have also, I mean, you'd have to be living under a rock to not know that this whole country right now has been living through a time of a lot of people leaving their positions. You know, there's a whole concept of the great resignation. and and, But also, I think just a lot of people regrouping during the pandemic and, and thinking differently about what they want to do next and where they want to put their time. And 
but we know that more and more folks are leaving. And Cornell's not immune to something that we've seen across the country in higher ed, too. That more and more people are also leaving higher ed, specifically, not just other industries or corporations. So, but I'm wondering, given you, the, the vantage point that you have in your role, Maria, um, and the access to information and data that you have and that sort of thing, what are you seeing here at Cornell in terms of some of those trends that may be similar or different to what we're hearing and reading about in the rest of the country? Yeah, I think that we are actually experiencing some of the same trends that are impacting employers nationally. I mean, we are seeing higher turnover than we've seen any time in the recent past. Um, and well, you mentioned that a lot of people, you know, just nationally are leaving higher ed for other jobs. That's also been the case at Cornell. Uh, historically, we were seeing a lot of people leaving for other roles within higher ed, but now we're seeing many more people going to corporates. We're definitely seeing, um, you know, you mentioned this whole idea of the great resignation. And uh, a lot of times we, we in, in employee experience refer to this as the reprioritization, the great reprioritization. So people are taking a step back, you know, and um, they're looking at what their lives have been like when they've been working, you know, crazy hours and not having a lot of time for family and other things that they enjoy. And so making decisions for themselves that really allow them to um, enjoy more of life and not have it be constantly focused on work. That burnout is real for sure. Yeah. And I also think work in itself is changing, right? And so the pandemic kind of forced that on everybody in every industry, every organization that we all had to learn to do our work differently, especially when we were all told to work remotely, at least initially when the pandemic started. And so I think now in terms of why people are leaving organizations where um, they weren't leaving in some mass numbers, it's because now the opportunities are there to work for an organization that might be headquartered out of, you know, the other side of the country or the other side of the world. Because now we talk about even in your own team, there's an entire group of individuals focused on remote work, right? And so that is now more available than I think it ever had been before. And so the opportunities are also greater for people to look beyond their immediate area. Absolutely. I mean, we have definitely seen and heard that that is the case. I mean, there are people who have left Cornell, but not left the area, right? right? Because they yes. have these opportunities elsewhere to work and have the flexibility that they're looking for. And yes, that is true, for sure. And yet it also, I mean, the other side, I am always look at both sides of the coin, right? So the other side is that also opens up opportunities for people that are maybe on the other side of, of the country or other side of the world, world to work here at Cornell as well. So we have definitely seen that be the case. It has opened up a lot of opportunities mm -hmm. for us as an organization, right? I mean, we know that for a long time, some of the feedback that we were getting around people not coming to Cornell to work was because of Ithaca and, and the fact that we were so isolated geographically and that didn't appeal to a lot of people. Uh, but now that doesn't have to be one of the deciding factors in terms of coming to Cornell to work. It also opens up a lot of diversity options for us that may not have been in the, the realm of possibilities before. Well, and just the fact that you talked about that other position that has been created, you know, that's totally about remote work. Right. Yeah. yeah I think that that's a really great example of how Cornell is responding to the times mm -hmm. and recognizing, okay, we, we need a dedicated staff person to really think about how we are approaching our remote employees, our remote work, and how we're integrating them into that life cycle that you talked about. Mm -hmm. um, and that's actually a very good example of that. 
And I just have to say in general, I think it's interesting how, you know, you, when you talk about your first position was in work life. So that was, what, 18 years ago. And, <laughs> yeah. and actually, I think it, I actually think it's somewhat positive thing about Cornell that they even had a position like that that long ago. <laughs> right? You know, this idea of acknowledging work life and what that might, how that might impact employees, that was quite a long time ago. So that was even, you know, somewhat progressive, I think, at the time. But here you come full circle in some ways. That you, you're still focused on that, but in a very different way, you know, in your current role, it sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a good point, Erin. And it's funny, when I first started working in WDELC, I remember my director at the time coming to me and saying, uh, you need to pick a work from home day. And I was like, what? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and um, and she said, yeah. You probably but, thought you did something wrong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she wanted me to stay home. Right. I only <laughs> want to see you four days a week. Not yeah. five. That's too much. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think, and, and so her point in doing that was, if we're going to be preaching it, we need to be living it. And so we all had a work from home day. And this was, you know, like you said, 18 years ago. And that's, that's, um, that is quite a long way back. And it was um, something that I had never um, been asked to do. I'd never even talked about it with any other employers. So it felt pretty good. And there was this implicit trust that was built into that, you know, decision, too. And I think none of us on the team took it for granted, which, um, I mean, I know I say that slightly sounding surprised, which I I don't mean to at all. But I think that we were lucky enough to, to be working in an environment where we all trusted each other. Right. I think that that speaks volumes for that supervisor because, as you said, yeah, unfortunately, we still hear it now. There could be an assumption of, of that someone isn't going to work 100% if they work at home when, in fact, you know, your supervisor had enough trust in all of you and you would, dem- you would earn that trust, right, that you could work from home. But I also really appreciate, I want to repeat what they said to you because I think it's key. If we're going to be pushing it, we need to be living it. I think that that is really powerful because a lot of initiatives, and and you could talk about that regarding almost anything in business and higher ed, any initiative, it can sometimes feel like it's a lot of talk and not a lot of walk. (laughs) And so that's really key that they were recognizing that. Yeah. Yeah, but also showing that it works, right? That yes. that allowing somebody to work from home at that time, which is a new new concept, one day a week, right? Now it's a whole different ballgame. Um, you know, eighteen years ago, one day a week and this idea that, hey, you actually can get work done even if you're physically not on campus. Um and I think, you know, it, it's also showing people that it works and what it does for your own morale and, and what it does for the team's morale. Absolutely. Yeah, it was quite a gift, I have to say. And, and you know, the other thing is, is that I know that, at least for me, that was the day that I saved all of my, you know, my work project work or as much as I could to do because, you know, you're in meetings back to back, especially now if, if you're if you are working from home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's no break to walk to a meeting. Um, but in any case, you know, the idea was that I was just so much more productive on that day. I didn't have distractions. I didn't have meetings. Yeah. I, you know, if I could if I could block off my calendar like that. So yeah, many benefits for sure. Yeah. Of course, Zoom has changed all of that for us, right? And so now you can't just work from home and be an actual work day all day. That's right. Um, now we're also Zooming in all day. 
Uh, Maria, I want to go back just slightly to something you said earlier about, and I think we've talked about this, that on your team, there is this new role that really focuses on work life, right? And I think one of the reasons why this role exists is not only just to help with logistics of it, but also to make sure that those that are working remotely have that inclusion, right? That The, the sense of belonging um, and that they feel that they're part of this larger organization that is Cornell, even though they're not here on campus and they're not experiencing the same thing. So it's kind of like break those terms down a little bit. One, I want to get your thoughts. What do the terms inclusion and belonging mean for you? And how do you find both here in your work? Yeah. So actually, um, I wanted to share something with you all that this is the first time I've been able to share it. So I'm kind of excited. It just a friend of mine just sent it to me. And I feel like it's really the, uh, the right time. So it's a diversity, inclusion, equity, and belonging analogy referencing art. It's all about diversity is which artists are being represented. Inclusion is how the art is represented. Equity is how much space or time that the art gets. And belonging is how the story behind the art is woven into the human story. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah, that wow. is nice. I, I liked it too, for sure. Um, so for me, when I think specifically about inclusion and belonging and what it feels like to me, I, I guess it's a... It's really feeling that overall, as a person, I matter and add value. Um, and then in the workplace, that also includes feeling that the work that I do matters and that my contributions add value. Um, and I'd say what that looks like to me is being trusted to do things my own way and respecting my style and approach, um, asking for my opinion, uh, really asking and listening to what I have to say. Talking with me and not at me, right. if yeah. that makes sense. Yes, that's that's huge. We've probably all been there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, being able to make mistakes or say the wrong thing um, from time to time without that really being held against me or me being judged based on that or having it follow me around um, at Cornell. And I think that, you know, sometimes that happens, it right? Does, we're, yeah. we're a large organization and a small community sometimes. <laughs> um, and then I guess really being involved one of the big things um, for me, I think, is being asked to be involved in projects and other work from my perspective based on who I am and what I bring to the table, not just because I'm a person of color or a woman. So, I, you know, I'm a person first and I, and I feel like I have my own lived experiences and history that's unique to me, um, just like everyone else. Right. And so I guess belonging to me um, is really about being valued as an individual and being able to be like unapologetically myself, right? I shouldn't have to explain and, and apologize for who I am, I should say. I love that idea. Just so something so simple about I'm a person first, right? And what if we approached everybody with that thought in mind? Um, that these individuals, every single individual is a person first, right? Um, and what would that do to the organization that we have? What would that do to the culture that we have here at Cornell? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good point, and I feel like we can make a lot of assumptions about people just based on what we see, and the reality is is that I, I could look like a lot of other women of color, for example, here at Cornell or in the world, and that could be the only thing that we actually have in common, you know? And right. so, yes, we, you know, I, I've always tried really hard to treat individuals as individuals, that whole collective thought um, not that we don't have things in common and we haven't had similar experiences, but like, you know, we all have our own story to tell and we all have our own experiences. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that about everyone and approach building relationships that way and, and collaborating and working together that way. You know, like we were saying before, we also 
want to see it in action, yeah. right? Inclusion and belonging. And I have to say, the story you told about many years ago, putting together a job description, <laughs> right? Uh, based on what you knew, based on what you were learning, and you know, from your work and what you were seeing as gaps, that prompted you to put together a job description to pitch that pitch yourself in the process, but, you know, your primary goal was to pitch the position, right? And to me, that's a great example of inclusion and belonging that the people that you pitched it to actually listened, you know, to the experience and the expertise that you were informing them with. They, they heard that, they thought about it, they did something with it. And then it's just the icing on the cake that it was you, <laughs> you know, that they actually put in a position. I, I think a lot of people look for kind of clear examples of what inclusion and belonging look like, and I think that that story really illustrates mm-hmm. that. Especially, you know, when you sort of broke down what it means for you, you know, asking what I think, but then actually listening mm-hmm. <laughs> to what I'm saying, it, you know, that really illustrated that beautifully, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, so, Maria, we have to always ask the other part of the yeah. question, yeah. too, right? <laughs> Which is, you know, it's also, I, I genuinely think it's equally as important for us to be mindful of examples or behaviors or actions that go against what we all, I think, actually want, which is everybody to feel a sense of inclusion and belonging. But inevitably, there are going to be things that work against that, that we may or may not realize we are doing, or, you know, how we are creating that environment that isn't supporting it. Can you talk a little bit about that, about what are the things that sort of are indicate to you that maybe that sense of inclusion and belonging isn't as strong as it could be? Yeah. Um, well, I think that uh, a lot of it is probably the opposite of, of what it feels like, right, to be to feel like I'm included or to, to feel inclusion. Um, so I think that big things for me is when information isn't shared with me, I don't have access to information um, that directly impacts my success or the lack of it contributes to like failure. Um, you know, obviously, you know, people taking credit for my, my ideas or my work and, and making me feel kind of like I'm in, invisible or insignificant in conversations or on projects or whatever it may be work related. And, you know, ultimately, I think it's about trust. Right. And that psychological safety that sort of um, that one needs to have in order to feel like they are included and they belong. Um, and so when when I don't have that, if, if people aren't giving me feedback, for example, but I might be hearing it through a back door, that does not feel good. And that makes me feel um, starts to, to second guess myself and makes me feel like I don't belong. Yeah, and I and I think really, um, you know, we talk a lot about wanting to bring their authentic selves to work, mm-hmm. and and when I can't bring as much of myself to work as I'd like to, I mean that 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 whole piece of things varies for me depending um, on how much I I feel like bringing. But if if as long as I can bring as much as I want to at that time to work, I'm good. If I can't, then it's 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 not a good thing. It's not a good feeling at all. Yeah, and and I I kind of like what you said about it's. It's all about how much of yourself you want to bring to work, right? So mm-hmm. you don't have to bring your entire self to right. work, every component, <laughs> every single day, right? But there might be bits and pieces that I want to share. And I and I also want to be part of a team where I feel comfortable sharing that I'm, or say that I am part of an amazing team that allows that of me. But, um, but you know, it's it's we, we do talk about like, oh, like bring your authentic self to work or bring your self, whole self to work. And and we also want to make clear to people that it's that really is defined by you, mm-hmm. um, right? And that it doesn't have to be all of yourself every single day. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 
Well, it is a feeling, and I think that you, yeah, yes, you want to be able, like I was saying, to be able to point at specific, and you did that very beautifully, point at a specific time when <laughs> you did not feel included or belong, and, and you hit the nail on the head. If, if it's clear that you're being left out of decisions mm-hmm. that are going to impact you, more importantly, impact your ability to do your job. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't have the access to the information and resources you need to do the job that you've been hired to do, <laughs> then that's not a very good feeling, you know. But then I think also what you described is just, it is a feeling. You just know based on the energy and the communication, the rapport, whether you can really bring your whole self or what aspects you can bring. And that really does come down to trust, as you said, which I think is the key word. The trust goes both ways. You, you got to feel that trust in order to give that trust. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, along those lines, because, you know, and you, you hinted at this earlier, we know that there are people that are leaving Cornell <laughs> who maybe didn't have that trust, who didn't have that sense of inclusion and belonging. That, that is not really a secret. We know in general that data is showing us that sometimes people leave for good reasons or for good opportunities or life takes them in a different direction, but that's not everybody's story. You know, there are those, if you, the term I believe you use was regrettable losses. And I, I want to dig a little deeper into that because I, I do think that that really is something that we all have to care about because we, we can't afford to keep losing people. Nobody can, right? So if, if we think about that, you know, can you give us an idea from the position you sit at at the university? What are the perceptions that seem to be out there around that sense of inclusion of belonging, campus climate? What does the culture feel like? You know, where do we have opportunities? Just take it however you want. But I just think given your specific role, you could have some real interesting insights on this. Yeah, no, I I think that it's interesting. The top reasons that people are leaving based on our exit interview data, especially, which obviously doesn't capture everyone because everyone's not taking it. But overall, as far as reasons for leaving, lack of opportunities to advance and lack of recognition have been at the top of the list for, for quite a while now. And those are two things that we can actually do some things about, right? And so some of the work that I've done actually has has revolved around this. So some toolkits um, have been created for managers. We know how, how critical the manager's role is, and we can get into that a little bit more because it, it is absolutely critical, good managers, who play such an important role in retention um, for staff and just employees in general. So those two, those two things definitely come up, and that's across any kind of demographics, for example. The belongingness and inclusion piece of things a lot of times really comes down to, to the manager's role, right? And, um, for example, like employees who talk about having a formal, like, new hire orientation plan that's provided to them by their manager were much more likely to see themselves at Cornell two years from now for example, right? And so we also know that having a voice in decision-making and having good connections with others, feeling like like are valued and understanding how their position aligns with organizational missions and having a manager who walks a talk 
based on just what you said, what, I, what I'm kind of seeing is having the orientation plan or the onboarding plan is important for people because that is what gets them connected outside of their immediate responsibilities. Same thing, having that direct line of sight um, to the organization, like how will my job contribute to the overall success of this organization? So I like this idea of looking at it from maybe almost two different perspectives as, as helping the employees or the new hires connect to their job and their role, but also to the organization and the other people within that organization. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We know that for people who feel connected to the organization and they they have a best friend is one of the things that we sort of talked about is like this BFF at work kind of concept, right? And that makes a big difference in, in retention. So all those connections... Yeah. I mean, how often do we talk about a work family, right? So that's that kind of ties into all of that for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Louie, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, just because I've also, I've been in the manager's side, I've been in the leader's side, I've talked to a lot of folks that are in those positions, and we talked about this earlier in the conversation, that one really real feeling that a lot of people are having is burnout. Mm-hmm. You know, it's work overload, it's burnout. Well, that's really true of managers too, right? They're feeling that. Because they're losing people (laughs) and those positions might not be getting filled as quickly, they're really struggling with getting the the actual work done that they need to get done, and that's a very real feeling. So I'm wondering, what do you say to a manager who says, I know this is important. I know I need to care about retention. (laughs) I know I need to care about my staff and not just the work that my staff's doing, but I don't have a lot of time. I'm just wondering, what do you say to them? Yeah. Well, time is definitely a thing. Uh, Time comes up quite a bit. Um, I think, first of all, it may come down to a mindset, right? So when we think about time and and the time that it would take, I mean, we're talking about spending time having conversations with individuals that report to you who ultimately are responsible for helping you reach your goal in a department from a work perspective, right? And so the time that you you put into having the conversations with individuals, I would say is time incredibly well spent um, as you consider how this can impact people as employees as well as just people as human beings. And so, and I'll back up a little bit, like we know, for example, that individuals don't feel like supervisors are supporting their career development or giving them feedback. I think that we've all heard the saying that people don't leave jobs, they leave managers. And this is true at Cornell, right? And we know from exit survey data that supervisors not supporting career development or giving feedback has really impacted people and and has made their choice to leave, want to leave, I should say, pretty clear. So feeling that managers didn't support their success at work has also kind of been something that we've seen and heard about. And of course, that means different things for different people. But at the end of the day, I think it's about the relationship that managers and their employees have with each other. I would definitely say that For managers, you know, it's going to be important for them to have those conversations with other people, get to know them. There are tools and resources that we've just recently rolled out that help managers have these conversations around retention and engagement, around recognition. We know that there are other university-wide programs and resources and that people also really want to have that 
individualized sort of approach. And so there is a recognition toolkit out there that sort of helps managers start to have those conversations and to learn about what's important to each person on their team. That could all look different. Same with having the career aspiration conversations, right? We have people who really want to advance their career and grow and continue to climb. And Others that are very happy doing what they're doing, and they just want to, you know, continue to feel like they're contributing in a, in a valuable way and that they're continuing to learn and grow and be challenged in the role that they have. And so all those things look different. And so, um, you know, this idea of making assumptions, I think, comes really easily to all of us. So it's really taking that time to just stop and actually get to know people and find out what is important to them as individuals, I think, is really important. And, you know, it's funny because I know we, we've said this statement multiple times that people don't leave jobs, they leave their managers. And in a previous podcast, Aaron and I also discovered that people also follow amazing managers, right? Even if the position that I'm actually following my supervisor for is not a higher, it could be a lateral. But because I've had an amazing relationship with the supervisor, I might actually follow them. Uh, and what I like about what you said is this idea of what I almost consider individualized leadership, right? And so, again, helping lead me in the way that I need and leading Aaron in a completely different way because Aaron and I are, are two different individuals with different needs, different sense of belonging, different sense of inclusion. And so I like the idea of, of this individualized leadership, and I think that's what will lead people to follow you as a supervisor versus leaving the organization because of our, of our supervisors. Absolutely. And, you know, the other thing that kind of goes along with that, Toral, is I've noticed that people tend to gravitate towards managers who do that kind of thing and that really do establish those those um, kinds of relationships with their staff. And we see it a lot um, in terms of places where individuals that are currently at Cornell, right, so our internal talent, are looking not necessarily just at the job itself, for new opportunities and different opportunities across Cornell, but they're also making choices based on managers and what they know about those managers and how much they support their employees. So absolutely, it happens. Good managers get reputations. Yes. You know, employees talk, and absolutely, you're going to, if you find yourself wanting to see if there's anything else out there, you're going to be inclined to check out an office or a department where you've been hearing good things. You know, that's very true. I really like, too, the fact that you talk about this idea of having very clear resources, very clear conversation starters, because I will say this, in defense of the managers, (laughs) in defense of the supervisors, I do think it can be really easy to end up in a role like that based solely on the fact that you're really great at at the subject matter of the work without necessarily ever having that much experience supervising people. But because we do tend to focus more on the work, on the output, on what we're producing, I think that some some individuals get set up, <laughs> you know, and that, that that's all that matters. That you just need to lead this team to do good work, but missing that key of you need to lead a team. Right. You need to lead people. And that does not come naturally to everybody. You know, you don't you know, you don't just know how to be a people leader. You don't know how to be a supervisor. And and I don't know that we're as good as we could be with arming those individuals with what they need, the resources and the experience. So it may seem like, you know, really you need they need a conversation starter, but yeah, they do. Yeah. <laughs> they need, you know, some pretty clear conversation starters because they've never had to have those conversations with somebody before. And that's not their fault. You know, give them what they need to do that. Yeah. Absolutely. I think I think you just, you know, made a really good point, Erin, and that is that 
you know, a lot of times we end up promoting people who are very technically strong at what they do, and we put them in these roles, and we, I don't know that if that's necessarily what they want, right? right? But sometimes it's the only way for people to advance is to take on that responsibility of managing others, even if you don't want to. That's true. Um, yeah. And so, you know, we have this tendency, I think, to just promote people and then drop them kind of over the wall and be like, okay, well, good luck, yeah. you know? And yeah. so, so part of my role is actually to focus more on managers and manager supports and resources and helping managers get what they need to be successful people leaders. You know, so that looks like lots of different things. It could look like toolkits. It could look like coaching. It could look like um, some trainings. Um, right now, we're in the process of, um, in partnership with organizational development and effectiveness, some some training for managers that get exactly at what you're talking about. So this idea of managing others. It's not. It doesn't have anything to do with their their other job. Right. Um, <laughs> but it's really all about. How can you be successful at managing others? And we have a lot of great supervisors and managers out there already. And how, how do we leverage their practices and their approaches in a way that helps support other managers? Amazing. So we have a great resource on our campus in you, Maria. So I'm glad our people leaders on campus who are actually listening to the podcast would be excited to know that there is a resource out there to help with this. And I think on the other side of it, I hope that employees, particularly employees that might be feeling a bit challenged where they currently are, can take some comfort in knowing that there are actual resources, you know, being directed at retention. And there's actual resources being directed at the employee experience, at helping managers to be better. You know, because I, I will say, if you're an employee struggling, sometimes it feels like it's all on you to change your situation and to make it better, right? And it's like, okay, yeah, I know I got to put some effort in, but you know, it'd be nice to know that others around me are putting some effort into it too. So it's good to know that you and your team are there trying to do just that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, if I can just like do a little shout out to everyone who has provided us with data, you know, I mean, I think the whole employee experience team, especially the HR analytics group, is constantly looking at this data to get at your point, right? So we're listening to the employees and we're taking this information so that we can make recommendations and share the information, build tools, resources, all of that, with the goal of really improving the employee experience. So I just wanted to say, you know, that we really appreciate the feedback that we get, and it's incredibly important as we, you know, figure out ways to make positive change for employees um, across the board at Cornell. Oh, that's such an excellent point, because so many times people do feel like when they get surveyed, oh, nobody's really going to read this, nobody's going to listen to it, they're not going to do anything with it, but your entire office is indicative of the fact that no, actually, people are looking at it. And I have seen for myself some significant changes that have happened based purely on what data and what, you know, what employees were willing to share about what's happening. Um, So it might not happen, you know, in their Cornell lifetime. But hopefully they can leave knowing they left a legacy of that's going to help somebody else. Yeah, definitely. Well, on that note, uh, I know we've had this fascinating conversation, and I'm sure we could continue this conversation for an additional hour or two. So, Maria, thank you so much for joining Erin and I today. We so appreciate you coming here. Thank you so much for having me, both of you. Thank you.
which will I really, really appreciated that conversation with Maria. Um, I think for a couple reasons. It was really neat to just hear her own story about some of the efforts that she took to take matters into her own hands, really. <laughs> just take matters into her own hands, identifying, you know, what the university needed, but also being able to see where she could provide what the university needed. You know, I thought that that was it. But again, I mean, really, it speaks volumes to the people that she spoke to, that they were willing to see that and hear that and do something with, with what she was telling them. Yeah, and I also like the way she said, you know, that she was very direct about it, right? And that she she let them know that, hey, like, it doesn't necessarily have to be me, though I would like it for it to be me. But I really feel the university needs this role, right? And and the fact that because she did that, this is the reason why her role exists, right? And why we focus so much on employee retention, um, because she took kind of the the self-advocacy to a whole different level, which I appreciated as well. And I really think it's important to highlight the fact that she is a woman. She is a woman and a person of color. And I say that because I do think sometimes that for any of us that are in different marginalized populations like that, you know, it's not always easy to to negotiate, to advocate for yourself. You know, you're, you're trying to keep the peace. You're trying to, you know, uh, fit in. You're trying to, you know, not make any waves, you know, that sort of thing. And yeah. I just, I find what she did to be very uh, inspiring because yes. she knew her worth. And she knew the worth, again, of the information that she was providing. You know, she really took that to them to say, listen, this is something you need to listen to. And um, I just think that that's important for all of us. We can all do it. We all have the capacity to do it, but it can sometimes feel like it's not going to be received. And I think that because she just she had faith and confidence in what she was presenting, yeah. that made a huge difference. I also appreciated um, her talking about her team, right? And so this idea of employee experience is a new concept, right? And mm-hmm. we, I think we've, we've all heard about bits and pieces of, of the different team members, especially in terms of employee well-being, what she has referred to in the past as the work-life concept. But I, I love this idea that uh, when you're looking at the experience, right, and she specifically said something about from the time the employee comes into Cornell to the time that they decide to leave or the, or the time that they actually leave the campus or, you know, their their work, that she and her team's entire role is to make sure that that experience that they have here is positive, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. Um, in whatever capacity we have to influence that. Yeah, the importance of feeling appreciated and valued right yes. up to the end. Yes. I think it was was a key thing. She also said, and we didn't dive into it, but I think it's worth mentioning now because it's it's also another term that I think is kind of new, and that is psychological safety. Yes. Right? And that, you know, I think is worth getting into more because really that is entirely so much of what she described today, being able to have a positive workplace experience, being comfortable with your team, being comfortable with your supervisor, all does boil down to a feeling of psychological safety. That whether, so that you can speak your mind, so that you can challenge issues, suggest solutions, but also, like she said, make mistakes. Make mistakes, learn from them, move on. That all requires psychological safety. Right, and all of that is what le- what's going to lead to that that sense of belonging, right? Yeah. That sense of inclusion that mm-hmm. everybody's going to feel. And ultimately, it's where everybody can then be their authentic selves here. Um, and we also talk about that in whatever capacity um, you want to show up as your authentic self, right? And so it doesn't have to be your entire self every single day. It can be bits and pieces, but it's whatever you want to share. 
And I mean, I, I, you know, I found myself remembering, I definitely had times in, in some prior roles where because the manager was able to say, I need help. <laughs> I know this is an area that we have to grow in. I, I want to hear from you. I want to know what your thoughts were, are around this. Because that invitation was there, I actually found myself wanting to work even harder and wanting to do more because I wanted to help them feel successful too, you know, because they were caring about my thoughts and my opinions in the process that only made me want to do more. And so I think that's important for all the managers out there that feel like this is an add-on to take that time with their employees and to really get into this. Actually, they're going to work even harder and, and more for you because you've done that. Exactly. The other big takeaway for me was this idea that Cornell isn't immune from what's happening within the rest of this country, right, or even the rest of this world. And so we are just a microcosm of our country. And so our employees are also, ex and we as an organization are also experiencing similar things that other organizations are experiencing. So we talked a little bit about kind of this mass resignation, right? And I yeah. actually like the term that she used, which was this mass reprioritization that a lot of people are doing, um, especially after the pandemic uh, and kind of figuring out what's important. And, you know, to her point and her own history, she figured out what her passion was, right, what was important to her, and found the position and actually advocated for herself. And I think a lot of people are doing that, um, and I think the pandemic almost forced a lot of us to do that for ourselves. Definitely, and I think the university saw that it was only going to help them be better to do what she was suggesting, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, and reprioritization goes both ways. You know, we are in a new world of work, and so, to your point, the university does have to think differently about what's going to make us competitive. Because what may have made us competitive five years ago is no, no longer exactly. what's going to make us competitive now. So it, the reprioritization is all over. So, yeah. yeah. And then and then I think maybe the last message to all of the Cornell's employees and all of our listeners is this idea that uh, providing the feedback. Right. And so, as Maria mentioned, there are people on her team, um, HR analytics, who actually look at the survey results. Yeah. They ask for the feedback and then they do something with that data. And so I want to continue to encourage all of our employees and all of our listeners to provide feedback as much as, as possible. Right. In, in, in whatever safe environment. Um, yeah, exactly. Whatever way is comfortable to them. Exactly. Anonymous most confidentially, whatever, because it, it will be taken and it will be heard and done something with. Again, you may not see it, right. <laughs> but you will hear your friends tell you about it after you leave. Thank you all for listening. This podcast is a production of the Department of Inclusion and Belonging in collaboration with the Cornell Broadcast Studio. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and submit a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps new listeners find us and the show. For latest updates on diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging at Cornell, be sure to visit diversity.cornell.edu. My name is Toral Patel. And my name is Erin Stumbler-Chase. We'd also like to thank our wonderful co-producer and sound engineer, Bert Odom-Reed, for making us sound wonderful each and every episode. Thanks, Thanks Bert. Bert.